You're listening to the Go For Growth Podcast with Doug Hall. Hi, everybody. This is Doug Hall, your host for Go For Growth Podcast. And I have a special guest today, Andrew McMasters, who's the founder of Improv Mindset here in Seattle and uh, very experienced in helping people probably get outside themselves. So I'm really eager to hear from Andrew about how that works some of his best practices, what he's observed in people growing in the improv mindset and growing their organization with team building and other techniques. So, Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Doug. I'm really glad to be here. It's uh, wonderful to have a chance to talk to you. Great. So the obvious first question is, how the heck did you get in this? And tell us what exactly <laughs> you do. <laughs> uh, sure. That'll take the entire podcast. Um, okay. So... Uh, <laughs> talking about how I got into this, um, my background is as an actor. Um, I have my undergraduate degree in theater. I have my master's degree in theater and drama. Uh, I've been working as an actor for about 35 years, 35 to 40 years. And part of what that kind of training gave for me more than anything else was a sort of series of rules of sort of how to operate. Uh, one of the things that I realized a lot with actor training is that they teach you to sort of sit and wait for the phone to ring. Um, they wait for someone to say, oh, you know, I have the perfect part for you. And so wouldn't it be great if I call you? And for me, I don't like to do that because that's a very passive way. And if you're going to take control of your own artistic future and your own financial future, you have to make your own work. So I started right. creating my own companies and I started creating my own work. And that has sort of continued to lead on to all of the work that I've done. I, um, Started Jet City Improv in Seattle, uh, 501c3 nonprofit theater, about 150 seat theater, did five to seven shows a week, education programs, also outreach to underserved communities. Ran that nonprofit for 25 years, stepped away in 2017. And then I have been working now on my own, doing a lot of this corporate work that sort of started somewhere in that range. Uh, so that's sort cool. of the background of how I kind of ended up there. Um, so uh, part of the, so, yeah, let, let me ask you a question. Um, I want to come yeah. back to the nonprofit experience and building that, but tell me, connect the dots for us on improv and acting and how that relates to team building and, and sort of corporate uh, culture, if you will, smaller businesses, bigger teams, whatever. What, give me that first. So we get the right foundation here to understand what you do. Sure. And uh, this kind of started a number of years ago, actually about, um, 1999, 2000, I started working for companies like Apple Computer and Microsoft. And my job was to actually be the person who stood on stage in front of large trade shows and said, hi, my name's Andrew. I work at Microsoft. I wrote this software. Let me demo it for you. And then afterwards, people would come up and say, oh, could you tell me more? And I'd go, let me hand you over to someone who actually knows what they're talking about because I'm just an actor. And, uh, <laughs> and so what I realized was that these people were hiring me because they were too afraid to stand on stage and talk about something they had spent five years of their lives creating. So what I started doing was taking the same exercises and games that I was using to train actors for my company, and I started adapting them and started changing them. Mm. And that has continued to lead into, okay, well, what do these exercises do? What could they do? How do they work? And it really is the basis of communication. How are we communicating with people? How am I fully listening? What am I hearing? How am I responding to what I'm hearing? And that has led to now me working with how do you develop teams? Uh, most of my work has been walking in with a brand new team and going, let's set a basis for how we all communicate together so that we can streamline this 
That way you don't have to spend the first month, two months feeling out where everybody is and how we discuss things and how we communicate. Let's streamline this. Let's make it now. Let's give you three hours, four hours, and let's give you the tools so that you can move forward immediately without having to feel out different personalities. So that's sort of the main part. And what I realized was that this work, when I was using it for actors, was really growing an ensemble very quickly and growing people's communication skills very quickly. So taking those same ideas of growing an ensemble and growing their communication skills very quickly and now adapting that for a corporate world. Awesome. So uh, if people were, if somebody wanted to engage you for this, what does it look like? I mean, how do, how do you get the process started? What's the midpoint? What's the final point? Is there is it an ongoing relationship, a one-off? Uh, is it event-oriented or, or, or mastery? What, tell us about that. Uh, a little bit of both. Um, a lot of the people who I talk to kind of want it to be sort of a one-off piece. And then what happens is it sort of turns into a one-off that we start with. And then we do ongoing pick up. Where are we? What can we do to reinforce the tools? Um, like any kind of new skill that we learn, you know, the, the goal is, is that we actually need to reinforce it. And we need to practice it so that we can become a sort of unconscious master of it eventually. Uh, the example that I use for people all the time is if you ever had the experience of getting in the car to drive home and then suddenly you're at home and you don't really remember driving. Uh, that's because, you know, none of us were born learning how to drive, but you sort of started to do it and you practice it and you practice it and you practice it. And then it just becomes something that's second nature with any of yeah. these new skills that we're working on about communication and about how we work together with groups. You have to keep practicing and you got to keep it top of mind. And then eventually it gets to a point where it just happens naturally. So for a lot of companies, yeah, it is kind of a first thing to come in and sort of do an initial, here's what we are and here's what we've got. And then there's kind of the every once in a while, let's touch base again in about a month and see how you're doing. Let's touch base again and see mm -hmm. how these things are going. Let's reinforce these tools. Let's reinforce the tools. Let's reinforce the tools. I will also give people tools to reinforce it for themselves because, again, people have to find their own practice. So I give them little physical objects or ideas or feedback that then helps them to reinforce the skills on a day-to-day -day basis when I'm not there right next to them. So is it normally in a group or is it normally one-on-one? -on -one? Normally in a group. Um, I prefer to work in a group because I think that there's always a lot of learning that and most companies that I walk into, I will say, you know, I'm, I'm not the expert. I don't know what your process is of how you work or the way you work. And so my goal is to sort of take the shared knowledge that's in the room and bring that out with these exercises so that you can help each other work better. And so in that way, it's kind of easier if it's a group of people rather than working with just mm -hmm. one individual or one or two individuals. I really want to sort of, how do you take the group mind and pull that all out so that everybody can be sharing information with each other, even that person that you're like, well, they annoy the hell out of me. Um, maybe there's something that they know that you could actually use in order to help your workflow be a little bit faster. Right. So tell me about how that works in terms of communications tools and getting that comfort on stage or in front of a group versus the sort of team building aspect of a group like that working with you. Yeah. Um, it is the way that it works more than anything else is kind of putting people into a situation where they stand up and play a fun exercise. Uh, mm -hmm. The difficulty I think that a lot of people have is the minute they hear, I mean, even the name of my company is Improv Mindset. The minute they hear the word improv, they think, oh, 
you're going to make me stand up in front of people. Uh, you're going to make me tell jokes. You're going to make me wear a wig, you know, all these kind of things, which aren't true. Um, that's just sort of the inerrant fear of what it's like to actually stand on stage and do something. In my workshops, what I'm trying to do, and actually the first 20 minutes or so, are really building that sort of safety and that feel in the room so that everyone can sort of take a step forward, maybe do something a little bit outside of their comfort zone, however, stretch and feel like they're doing it in a safe and protective environment um, and something that's actually going to help them to stretch in some way. So we get on our feet and to be perfectly honest, we play exercises, um, simple things like even practicing, how do we remember someone's name when we first meet them? Uh, so mm -hmm. let's practice and exercise it and let's do it in this fun and interesting way. And what happens is everyone starts laughing and it's great. And there's a lot of laughter. And then we talk about wonderful. What are we practicing? What is the skill we're working on? And then we debrief and then we try it again, practicing on what is that skill and how do we further that? And then we talk about, great, now what do we learn from that? And then how do we take this away and use this in our everyday work? How do we take it away and use mm -hmm. it in our individual industry? How do we take it away and mm -hmm. use it in our work that we're doing tomorrow with each of the people who are in the room so that we can sort of take it from a, a higher level and then bring it back to the actual ground basics? You know, what is it like when your boots are on the ground? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I make people play games. That's literally it. <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's the um, no. That's uh, it's certainly needed. Um, I mean, I'm big on team building events, and this is really a unique approach. So, so hone in on the team building aspect of it. What kind yeah. of tell us some stories about you know what you've seen in terms of yeah? Because you're talking about Microsoft, and you know that's about a bunch of quiet, introverted software engineers and People oh, yeah. like that. So what have you seen happen? Oh, it, it's I think there's an amazing sort of way that these exercises and games get people to actually communicate together and work as a team in different ways. And um, I actually was doing a workshop a little while ago and someone had told me they had a recent team building event that was an escape room. And I was like, oh, how did that yeah. go? You know, one of those where you, you get in the room and then there's zombies are going to attack you and you have to answer questions right. and figure out how to get out. Right. Right. And, it's um, a, and they it's said team problem solving. Right. Right. And they said, oh, they failed horribly. <laughs> because each person was trying to take control and go, I know what it is. 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 And so no one was actually taking each other's information and building on it and listening to what the other people were saying and saying, oh, that idea is great. And I have this idea and I have this idea and build on top of it so that they could work together to accomplish the goal. And so they all ended up dying. Um, so for, uh, for my <laughs> work, exactly right. It's sad. Um, which then makes like, Oh yeah, great team building. Uh, we failed. Um, <laughs> for, for my workshops, I'm really teaching that lesson of yes. And how do I hear what someone says? How do I accept on that? And then how do I build on it? So yes and is really one of the big lessons and using that in order to work together with your team. When someone says something, you don't immediately go, all right, well, let me tell you what's wrong with that. You start to look at, oh, okay, there's some really cool stuff here, even though it may not work, even though it may not be possible, even though I have some information that you may not know that makes that sort of idea not work. Let's talk about what's right with it before we start talking about what's wrong with it. And that's kind of the idea of yes and. Let's accept it first. Let's talk about it. Now let's build on it with maybe more information or the next idea that I have. 
And using that tool of yes and, you can continue to have teams start to work together in a way that's positive as opposed to saying, no, that's never going to work. Let me tell you why. Mm. And when people start to hear no enough, then they stop, they stop bringing ideas up. They stop uh, coming to you with new ideas or with solutions to problems because, well, why bother? It's just going to get shot down. So we're working in kind of basic communication skills, and we're also working in how do these people work together in sort of interpersonal communication so that we can build that muscle up so that people feel mm-hmm. comfortable bringing forward things. And then everyone's going to go, oh, you know what? Let me tell you what I love about that. Here's some really great ideas on it. And here's some other things we need to think about as well to remember because those may be things that you don't know about. But we start to talk about it in a positive sense as opposed to let's shoot someone down because your idea is really bad. So you end up with a behavior modification in a team, right? Yep. They start communicating uh, differently as a team. They start communicating differently as a team. And even with simple tools, um, I had a, a workshop I did a little while ago for a company that they said they don't, they were finding their issue was, is they don't give each other feedback that is constructive or that they have a culture where people feel afraid to give feedback. And so we actually worked with a number of tools and sort of worked them up to the point where people were saying, let's work on listening. How do we listen? How do we listen to each other? Can we listen rather than listening to solve? Can we listen to build relationships? And then we start to move into the, now let's start to ask some questions like, okay, what's the endearing quirky thing that I do that annoys the hell out of you? Wonderful. Uh, This is what I heard from you. Let me tell you what I heard. Is that correct? Yes or no? Wonderful. Now let's go to the next thing, which is what is the conversation we should be having right now that we're not? This is what I heard from you. Is that correct? Yes or no? So we start to get into how do these people start to actually work together with some small, short communication tools so that they can get to the conversations they need to have so that they can both work together in an aligned way. Interesting. And, you know, we also do it in a way that's going to be a lot of laughter and fun. So that's the goal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it sounds like it's fun. So yeah. talk, about the, talk about sort of the range of sizes of teams, sizes of companies that you find most open to this. And speak a little bit to the smaller companies who don't often think about these kind of things. You know, how do you make that it accessible to a, you know, a company with 30 employees instead of 3,000 employees? Yeah, and that's been a very interesting thing, Um, especially I've found that a lot of smaller companies where they've just said, we need to set our culture up correctly, or we're growing so fast, we need to set a baseline for how we communicate with each other. And those are interesting because then usually you can have everybody there in one room. I mean, I've worked with some companies recently where they had 12 people. And it's like, great, we can reach everybody in one fell swoop. Let's start here, you know. Um, in general with groups, I try to stay with groups that are about under 20 people for a workshop, unless we're doing a large group event. Like I'm doing a large group event for Microsoft in a couple of weeks. That's 175 people. Uh, and that's where I'll be on stage and I'm sort of facilitating the exercises for them with a little bit of PowerPoint support. So it's scalable based on the size of the companies. Uh, for me, what I love because I feel like I can actually get down and and get dirty with it and really kind of work on the nuts and bolts of it is when it is that smaller to mid-sized company. Um, Companies I just finished with a little while ago have about a hundred people. So I basically did about five workshops for them. And I'm currently working with another company right now doing some sales training on that work. And so I'm finishing up a fifth workshop for them here next week. 
So it's very much like this is a small company, you know, about 100 people, maybe 120 people, and we can reach everybody in mm-hmm. five workshops. And we can be individual with each one of those people. And everyone now has this shared piece, which means mm-hmm. now we can do one other large thing where it's a large group effort where everybody practices one more time with each other. And then you're pretty much set forward at this point. Uh, I will give you a few other tools that you can self-administer or you can have me come back in for a little refreshers here and there. But everyone's done the mm-hmm. boots on the ground part. So now we can actually just start going. Let's just reinforce. Let's just reinforce. Let's just reinforce. So you opened the door to especially you mentioned sales training. So how, yeah, what kind of little what kind of little side uh, doors do you find in 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 companies? Um, talk a little bit more about sales and other things that you've helped with at a functional level. Yeah, sales has been the most interesting, I think, uh, for me recently heading into that realm, uh, finding that most of the people that they're hiring for a lot of sales training is actually or for a lot of sales is directly out of college. So these are people who maybe have their first or second jobs. They're very young. And what they've been told is, here's your script. Let's get on the phone. You're an SDR. And let's just you keep calling and you keep calling and you keep calling and people say no and you hang up and you get back on the phone and and what they haven't done is actually listen to what the customer or the prospect wants mm. or where they are. And they haven't asked any questions. They've just done, here's my machine gun of what my message is, as opposed to, well, mm-hmm. tell me what you've done recently. Oh, you know, we have some products that might be able to help you with that. Um, it's, it's sort of listening to what a customer-centric message might be. As opposed to, mm-hmm. I have my message and I'm just going to machine gun it out. Got it. Any other departments that, other than sales or sales development reps that you know have popped up as being key for you? Uh, some of them I have actually, and this has been kind of the interesting thing. I'm, I'm doing one again uh, here in a couple of weeks for some more engineers. And mm-hmm. um, what I love about that is the very sort of linear thinking that an engineer will do. I mean, I make them stand up and, okay, let's play an exercise. Let's play this game. And they're immediately thinking, how do I solve this game? How do I fix <laughs> yep. this game? How do I do this? And it's okay. And, and what it, the, the interesting part for me is getting them from that spot of you're trying to solve the game when maybe the game is just about how do you experience what's happening for you? Mm-hmm. And then how do we take that experience and put that into practical application? And that sort of shift from the, oh, I don't have to solve everything, is a, is a fascinating sort of piece to watch happen. And I think it also helps them with, um, when you don't have to solve everything, there's a chance for some innovation to come out in a way that you may not have noticed before. Or there mm-hmm. might be a way to tie together two different ideas that you never noticed before so that you can now create something brand new. So for me, I love working with engineers. It's, that's a challenge, and it's so much fun. <laughs> So let me take you back to uh, the Jet City Improv and yeah, and how 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 you got that idea, how you got it started, a little bit about you know the life cycle of that. So how and and tell us the story of why it ended. So uh, sure, yeah, and and Jet City is still going strong. I mean, they are a oh okay. Um, you just you just uh, took off. You're you're not yeah. In it. Um, as a 501c3, you know, eventually it was a time to hand it over to some younger people who want to take it in the next direction and have it continue. Mm-hmm. 
So I stepped off as leadership in 2017 and handed it over to sort of the next generation of people to take it and move it wherever they're going to move it. Um, so yeah, for me, it was very much a sense of um, how do I continue to work on my craft and my skills without having to, again, as I said before, wait for someone to call me and wait for someone to offer me work. So this was a chance right. to get on stage and start doing some work and start practicing the skills and be in rehearsal and be in performance and sort of continue to do it. And that's where it started. Where it ended up <laughs> is the next step, because again, I think like everything, you know, you sort of start something and then it evolves and you follow that thread and you keep pulling on it and it goes somewhere else. Uh, what we found was that it wasn't just about us getting on stage. Us getting on stage was one thing and that was fun and it was great. It really turned mm -hmm. into this audience shows up here and what do they want? And how do we serve them and how do we help them? Um, and that translates actually to some of the workshops as well, because I talk about the main lesson that I taught my actors for improv was if you are making your partner on stage look good, then you're doing your mm -hmm. job. It's not about what you're doing. It's actually about how do you externally focus and how do you serve the other people around you? And mm -hmm. that even goes so far as when I'm on stage and I said something and the audience laughed, I know that's not me. It's the fact that my team set me up so that I could say that so the audience could respond to it. It's not about the individual, it's about the group. So that same idea really kind of morphed into then how do we serve an audience when we're on stage? How do we serve the other mm -hmm. performers? How do we serve the audience? Which then kind of morphed into, well then if we're doing this, how do we serve the rest of the world and the community? So um, we started doing classes for homeless youth where we just went out and did them for free. And we mm -hmm. found that all of a sudden you had kids who were afraid to talk to people who basically walked in and would not make eye contact. And after doing two hours of workshops with them, suddenly their faces were up and they were laughing. Mm -hmm. So that change then started us to work with incarcerated youth. Um, we worked with uh, children who actually were going through drug treatment programs. Uh, during the summer, in fact, Jet City Improv still do, does this. They're doing it right now. Uh, they go out to about 25 to 30 different camps for kids who are either going through cancer treatments or severe burns, cerebral palsy, spina bifida, um, lots of different ailments, camps for kids, and they do workshops and performances for those kids. Mm -hmm. And that was the work that we made money doing ticket sales and we made money doing fundraising as a 501c3 in order to do that outreach out in the community because we believed that it wasn't just about us on stage, it's about how do we serve a better world? How do we make a better world with the, with the work that we do? So that, that was kind of the main part of Jet City Improv. Um, that outreach work, I think, kind of fed who we were and why we do what we do. Cool. So think about starting that uh, yeah. organization, Jet City Improv, and then tell us a little bit about how it grew and the challenges you saw as you added people, added structure, whatever you needed to do to get Jet, Jet City Improv from off the ground to a viable organization? What growth lessons did you learn? Oh, boy, a, a million. Um, and <laughs> in a lot of ways, being very young, sort of, you know, and, and I think my experience, too, was, you know, well, I'm an actor. And then suddenly, mm. well, I'm in, I'm in charge. So uh, that kind of altered a little bit about what my own lessons in life about leadership and about how to run a company and how to move forward. 
that was very, very helpful. Um, what I found more than anything else was even with improvisers. So these are people who step out on stage every single night, not having a script, not knowing what they're going to do to sort of step into that unknown and that fearful place every single night. And they love it. And yet at the same time in their everyday work, the minute you change something, there was a lot of like, oh, things changed. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. So that idea of sort of change management started to become very important for me as I was working. Like, how do we use these skills of improv and help people through change management? Because I was watching professional improvisers be very unwilling to change something or be very, uh, you know, intolerant of risk, even though that's wow. what they do on stage every single day. Yeah. So for me, this is where I kind of started with a lot of this work of how to work with other companies was I started seeing it and started practicing in the business itself. Well, how do you then work with people in the office in order to make them a little bit more risk tolerant, in order to make them a little bit more um, communicating with each other and dealing with change and embracing change as opportunity and then using that in order to propel the company forward? Uh, it, it, it's, it was a constant battle. <laughs> as I think anyone who runs a company will find, you know, it, it is a constant oh, yeah. battle, especially of how do you keep people thinking forward and as yeah. opposed to, well, we're here now, so we're stopped. Yeah, and, and how many people were in your orbit then as you grew it? I mean, obviously there were volunteers, there might have been some yeah. staff, but how, how many folks did you end up coordinating when, you, when it grew up? Uh, probably about 50. So, um, which included actors uh, and some technician and then staff members. So about 50 people sort of in that area. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's sizable because a lot of yeah. folks have a hard time getting beyond 12, you know, it's, so you, can run, <laughs> you can spin around and take care. You can be in charge of 12 people. It's pretty hard to tell 50 people what to do. Exactly. Right. Right. And, you know, and then make sure that everyone's together on a clear and aligned message. You know, why do we do what we do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so what, that, what, uh, so what's, what are some lessons you learned there? You know, as you grew that, as it got to 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, what, what tools came to your, to mine and what worked and what didn't work? Uh, back to basics almost every single time. Um, uh, an example was we did a, a great event every year, uh, called the Seattle Festival of Improv Theater. We brought people in from all over the world. They would perform for an entire weekend. We rented other theaters. We did multiple shows, workshops, people showed up. It was a, a wonderful, wonderful event. And every time the event was done, the first thing I would do is sit everybody down for a debrief and I go, why do we do this? Talk to me about why we do it. And I'm not talking about, you know, let's, there's money or here's this. I'm talking about give me the big overarching 30,000 foot level. Why do we do this? It's a lot of work mm -hmm. and it's a pain in the ass. Why do we do it? And what mm -hmm. would always happen is you get to that little nugget of, this serves the community and it serves us and it does this. Wonderful. And now that we can distill that down to that little sentence, great. Let's keep that in mind as we start our planning for the next time. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I would save that sentence so that then two months, three months before the next event, when we're about to do it, I'd pull that sentence out and be like, all right, so we identified this is why we do it. Is that still true? And it's mm -hmm. reminding people, again, let's get back to the, the, the real overarching idea. 
because you can get so stuck in the weeds of, well, hang on, did we get this paperwork done? And did we get the plane tickets for those people? And are the hotels okay? And what about the performance spaces? Oh, they need three chairs, not two chairs, you know? And that's detail. That's not why we do what we do. Right. And I need you to focus on why we do what we do. What did you find about people when you were recruiting <laughs> staff or volunteers? What, what, what are some of the people lessons you learned as you grew that thing? People lessons, uh, the biggest piece, I guess, that I found on it was I want people who are willing to try, or willing people, people who are willing to dive in and do something. Um, I had people who worked for me who, I mean, here we are on a Sunday, and my phone would keep ringing, and I would keep enduring it because there was a decision to be made, but they were afraid to make the decision. And eventually what I would have to do is just ignore it, ignore it. And then I would see them on Monday and they'd be like, well, I was trying to reach you. And I said, okay, I wasn't available. What happened? And they'll be like, well, I made the decision. I'm like, great. Wonderful. How'd that go? Terrific. Good. Take ownership. You know, I don't need everything to go through me and I don't want everything to go through me. I want you to take ownership of it. And eventually what I want is that you're reporting back what happened and whether or not it was good or bad or whatever. Great. And then you'll learn from that and we learn from it. And then we all adapt and we move forward. So mm-hmm. for me, the main person skill, people skills that I was sort of looking for is how do you take initiative? How do you, how do you dive in and do this? Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of had like a, a three-step process of, you know, what I want you to do is sort of, let's talk about what you might do. Great. Let's have you go ahead and do that. The next one is, is that I want you to sort of go ahead and do it. And then I want you to talk about what happened. And the next step is, is eventually you're just going to get to a point where you're reporting back, you know, every week or every two weeks or every month, whatever it is. I, I want to kind of work you up to the point where you're making your own decisions based on the same aligned idea that we've all laid out. And I know that what you're doing, you're doing it in the best interest for the organization and for all of us here and for our audience. So, yeah, That's drive good is advice. the biggest one. Yeah. Drive. Okay. Uh, what was the next thing you looked for in people when you were adding staff? I mean, you looked for drive, but what else were you looking for? For me, flexibility. Hmm. Uh, I found that I wanted people who really like, okay, yes, here's these things. And then immediately was, well, and have, are there other ideas that someone else has? Great. You know what? My idea is really wonderful, but yours is even better. Let's do that. Like, I want you to still be moving forward in an aligned fashion and be flexible to other ideas that are coming in and be clear about them as well. You know, that's not something we're going to try at this point. Thank you so much for bringing that up. It's something I want to take a note on and then see whether or not we can use that in the future. Um, so really, it's the ability to take initiative, that sort of drive, and then the flexibility of let's listen to who else is around us and let's kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. What else? Drive and flexibility. Those are, those yeah. are awesome. There's got to be a, th- a third big one. <laughs> um, the third, and I think this is kind of why I've sort of transitioned into doing the work that I'm doing right now, is they have to have good communication skills. Hmm. Uh, I have to, uh, we have to be able to communicate, and we have to be able to listen, and we have to be able to actually work together in a way that I feel is going to be constructive as opposed to destructive. Um, I don't want you to start using your communication skills in order to push forward what your agenda is uh, or what your ideas are as opposed to other people's ideas. I need you to be able to listen. 
I need you to be able to communicate clearly and concisely about what that piece is. And then I need you to be flexible to understand that things may change. So for me, the biggest one, and I think this is why I've sort of transitioned into doing improv mindset is communication skills and the importance of that when working with any team, how they communicate, the ways they communicate, what you can do as an individual to take ownership over that so that you're helping the entire team grow. That's really kind of the biggest skill. So if you think of drive uh, flexibility and communication skills, which of those are teachable? Communication without a second, without without a question. Um, Yeah, that comes to my mind immediately. Immediately, communication, I think, is one of the biggest ones that that we can work with. And uh, the flexibility, I think there are with certain tools. Like, in other words, when I get people to really understand the ideas of yes and and to accept Uh and build on people's offers, that tends to add to a certain amount of communication, of, of flexibility, sorry. So that really kind of builds in that direction. Drive, I think, is something that's just, you either have it. <laughs> I'm not even sure how you keep working on it. Um, yeah, when right. I was working, I was doing something at Nike um, a couple of years ago. And what was great was they just have such a culture of drive to the point where, you know, well, I have 45 minutes for my lunch break. So I'm going to go take a run for 40, for 40 of it. And then I'm going to shove some food in my face and then I'm going to keep going. You know, um, they have that drive built into their culture. So as a result, every time I was doing work games with them, as it would get harder and as the exercise would get harder, they'd be like, come on, harder, harder. Come on. What do we do? One more step. Come on. This keeps right. difficult. And I loved that because that was just showing me that these people here just want to go further. They want to go further. How can we do more? How can we do more? How can we do more? Um, that was really fascinating for me. So the next step beyond those three essentials you were looking for is share any tips you have for uh, good leadership, good management practices. What what did you find when you were forced into that pretty young and you grew up and you built this organization? What leadership management tips do you have that you learned along the way? So maybe you can give people a hand here. Yeah. One of the things that I had started to do, and, uh, and it's interesting because now I've um, – heard about it from a lot of other people that they've said, you know, this is kind of the key. And I, I suppose it would be in terms of mentorship. Uh, however, I just started meeting with people. I just started asking, how did you do what you did? Um, in a lot of ways, that's why I kind of love when you contacted me about this podcast, because it's, it's sort of that sense of now I feel like back in 1992, you didn't have podcasts to listen to in order to learn what someone did or how they did it. Uh, but having these conversations where I would just call people up who had larger organizations than me and say, can I buy you coffee? And can I talk to you about mm-hmm. how you did what you did? And then start to find out. And all of those conversations just continued to build up my own, for lack of a better word, sort of uh, wealth of tools in the toolbox that then I could try out. Uh, and it also built up a network of people who, when there was something new that came along, I could call them up and go, oh, just, you know, do you mind if I bend your ear for five minutes? This is what's going on. Could you tell me if you ever dealt with something similar? Um, that was mm-hmm. invaluable to me. Uh, there's a, a book that I was given as I kind of handed over Jet City and was figuring out, well, now what am I going to do? You know, because now I don't have a job um, uh, called <laughs> Designing Your Life. And it's written by mm. two Stanford 
professors. Yeah, and it's a it's a great book on that, but they use design theory in order to figure out how to move forward with your next career. And part of that design theory is that you just start meeting with people and start having conversations. You know, tell me how mm-hmm. you did this. Tell me how you started. What's that? Oh, wonderful. And it's really not about you. It's about how do I learn from this person so that then I can take some of those ideas back and apply them in what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So the biggest thing that I talk about for anyone who's actually a new leader is, yeah, who's in your network who you think might have something there? Who's in your network who could introduce you to someone who then you could buy coffee for and learn more about what they do? And Continue to have those conversations with people, continue to meet and talk to people and find out more about how they've done what they've done. That's, that's been the biggest part for me that has been sort of the, you know, how to get your cheap NBA. Yeah. For the price of a sounds coffee. like a winter, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So think about this whole experience from, you know, getting Jet City Improv going and and getting your your individual uh, teaching and coaching practice going, and and think of sort of the top one or two things that you, you the advice you always give, right? Like <laughs> always on this. So now you have an opportunity to talk to my podcast audience and say, okay, here's the one or two or three things that you got to think about this. You got to keep this in mind. So it's it's advice time from Andrew. So what what comes to mind? <laughs> your, best, your best advice. Got it. Oh, man. Um, for me, I, when I really understood that idea that we sort of talked about here a couple times about accepting and building on offers, um, being able to hear what someone says, accept it by saying yes, building on it by saying and, that idea of yes and really helped me to understand, okay, well, what's next? And it's not about judging what happens. You may not like what happens. However, it's reality. So you accept it and then you build on it with the next thing. Uh, The main lesson that I sort of learned that I feel was the biggest kind of linchpin for me as I continue to go through my life and, and alter and change and grow was that once you understand the idea of accepting and building, the next thing is, is that every offer that happens, everything that happens is an offer and a gift. It's just a matter of how you accept it. So even if it's like, oh, okay, wow, this all failed and I went bankrupt. Wonderful. Cool. What did I learn from that? Mm. And you, you take that and then you use it and you accept it as something that happened and then you build on it. And you can either look at it and beat yourself up over it. However, if you look at it and you beat yourself up over it, then you're spending time and energy towards something that's negative as opposed to going, hey, what did I learn from this that makes me not do that again? Right. Or how do I take this lesson? How do I take this extreme failure or how do I take this awful event that happened in my life and use it in order to push myself to the next level and find something new and find something different and maybe go beyond what I thought was going to be possible? Right. So I guess that the main thing, the main piece of advice, everything that happens is an offer. Everything that happens is a gift. It's just a matter of how you accept it. It's all mindset. Yeah, pretty much. Which is why I started to do the idea of improv mindset. If we can just change our ideas to, to that and kind of follow the improv mindset. That's the direction that I think companies can go in and for success and individuals for their own life. Perfect. So, 
How can folks learn more about Improv Mindset and Andrew McMaster's? <laughs> uh, give me a call. Buy me coffee. Uh, so. There you go. <laughs> Have a conversation, right? <laughs> yeah, really. Give me a call. That's great. Um, I, uh, my website, uh, improvmindset.com. Uh, lots of information there. Uh, I also have a bunch of things on LinkedIn. So uh, Andrew McMaster is at LinkedIn, Improv Mindset. So yeah, I think those are kind of the biggest pieces. Uh, other than that, yeah, yeah. But I I love I love meeting with people. That's kind of the best thing in the world. So if anybody wants to talk to me, give me a call. Great, let's meet. Let's talk. Okay, so we're going to be on for coffee soon. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> well, I have a great coffee mug oh. you sent me, so I'm going to use that. <laughs> there you go. That's great. That's uh, it's, it's a benefit of being on the Go for Growth podcast. So I so love it. Great, good, great stuff today, Andrew. Thank you for sharing this with my audience. And well, uh, thank you, thank you for having look, me. This has been wonderful. Good. And I do look forward to a coffee with you. And um, folks, check out Andrew. Check out the Improv Mindset again. Think of it in terms of communication schools, team building, culture building, all this cool stuff we covered on this call. So thanks again, Andrew. It's been awesome. Thank you. The Go for Growth podcast is sponsored by Resources for CEOs. We help overworked business owners take back control of their time, build a team-driven company, and multiply profits. Get your free copy of How to Get What You Want from Your Business at resourcesforceos.com slash guide.